All right, today's scripture reading is coming from Psalm 25. If you guys would stand with me, uh, we're going to read from Psalm 25 today. All right, good. Psalm 25 says this, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, you may be seated, but I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have to come together and to open up your word. Lord, may you write it onto our hearts. May you reshape our minds and guide our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so as, as a campus minister, I, I've had a lot of fun telling people what I do. It's like really fun to tell people stories and share what college kids are like because they're crazy and what doing ministry like is like to college students. And the most common question that I got in RUF uh, and something that I talked a lot about the last three years was about finding God's will. It's about finding God's will. What, what major should I choose? What major should I change to? Who should I date? How do I know who I should date? Uh, when will I get married? How should I get married? Will I like this job? What job should I do? Where should I move next? And these are really, really serious questions, uh, and this shouldn't surprise us. Christianity Today says that the most common question that they've got in their entire existence far and away is how do I find God's will for my life? It's the most question asked all time. But this question is also, and this is important for us to know, is a more recent and it is a very modern question. People have been examining entrails and looking at secret tea leaves for thousands of years, but not the church. 
The church and the sermons of old don't spend a lot of time talking about it like we do. And the reason has been pointed out by many is that we feel such a great uh, sense of control over our own lives and our own destiny, more than people ever have, right? We feel such a great sense of control over our own lives and our destiny, more than most people have, even though, right, none of us have chose to be born, right, like really important things about us, like our existence, we didn't choose that. We didn't choose our talents or our skills. We didn't choose our parents. Uh, we didn't choose our families. We didn't choose the country we were born in or in the century we were born in or just like a lot of stuff that like is us. We still feel like we are ultimately truly the ones in control. And so, When we become Christians then, God becomes this sort of wild card, doesn't He? The one who can wreck our control. And so we react and we study and we delve into the secrets of God to try to figure out what His will is to get control back for our life because we believe very deeply that we have tremendous power to either wreck or succeed in life. And therefore, we must find God's will so we can succeed. That's our thinking. And so, with this question in mind, we turn to the Bible, and we specifically turn to Psalm 25. And this text is one I love and one I've thought about a lot over the years, and it touches on so many things. But a theme that runs through this psalm, and what David is ultimately praying to God for, is that he believes that God is somebody who guides. He gives guidance. We learn that God does actually plan, that He instructs His people, and that He is shaping a people who are going to be guided by God but God is the guide. God is the guide. People so often want the plans of God so they can get His blessings, but they don't want the guide. In our sin, we don't want to have our hearts shaped and chained so that we have to walk with God and depend on Him in all of life. We already don't do what He says, but we want His blessings without actually having to follow Him. And David is going to show us that the people of God deeply desire the guide. The heart of those who are guided by God is one of faith, repentance, and covenant faithfulness. And so, two things we're going to see from our psalm today. The first is this, that God does guide His people. That's the first thing. God does guide His people. And the second thing we're going to see is, who are the people that God guides? What are they like? What, what are, what is, what, in what way is God shaping people so that they can be guided? So, the first thing is God guides His people. So, Psalm 25 is actually a psalm of lament. David is lamenting in this psalm his enemies and and what they're doing in his life and the life of his people. And he also laments a lot of his own sins. And from that sadness, he he turns to God and asks for God rescue and guidance in this time of trouble. And the power and the purpose of this psalm is that the people of God would sing it for the entirety of the existence of the people of God in the church. Years and years after it was written, and thus they would continue to be shaped by its teaching. And that is actually the purpose of the Psalms, that as we come and we sing these Psalms together, and we actually sing the music in church together, that God uses these words and these teachings to shape us together. He is shaping a people together. And so the Psalms have tremendous power to shape and to make our hearts more like the Lord's. And so as we look at this Psalm, I want to start off by reading verse 12. Verse 12 says this. It says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Who's the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. Him he will instruct in the way he should choose. What David is pointing out here is that those who fear God from the heart, 
are those who are being guided by the Lord. Those who fear God from the heart are those who are being guided by the Lord. And fear here does actually mean fear, right? Because God is kind of like just and tremendous and powerful. It actually means fear, but it has this added aspect of awe and respect and reverence and worship. And it's this heart that Christians have that actually understand the God of the Bible. He's a God of justice and power and, and splendor and awesomeness and holiness as well as soft and approachable and kind. And this person who has this heart that fears God in this way is the people who actually get God's guidance. That's what the Scriptures teach. And this is really good news. We learn in this psalm, as well as the rest of the Bible, that God does have a plan. He has a plan. He's he's the author of the unfolding story of the universe. He's also the author of your story. He is intimately involved in our lives, which is why David is asking for guidance. And Paul says that those of us who've been saved by grace, that we are God's workmanship, that we are His handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before time that we would walk in them. Which means that God has not only made us, but He's also set our path. He's also given us a purpose, and He is intimately involved that we would walk in them and fulfill His ongoing story of the cosmos, which is very different than what I grew up saying, right? YOLO. I grew up saying YOLO because it's like, listen, you only live once. Who knows what's going to happen? There's not, nothing actually matters, and so let's just have as much fun as possible. That's the anthem of millennials and, and Gen Z like us, and it's also very, very different than the other thing that I grew up also believing, which is the scientific narrative that we are all just random chances, bags of atoms that are just like flinging through the universe super fast, and all of the suffering in this world is just luck, and all of the blessings in the world is just luck. The Bible says something very different. We are God-made and God-designed. And not just that, our lives are God-designed and shaped as well. And He is walking with His people, guiding them in His unfolding plan of redemption. That's very, very different than what you hear outside of the church. Uh, When I was a kid in middle school, I have these memories of playing Nintendo 64 being done playing at like three in the morning and turning on the TV. And that's when the real interesting commercials were on, you know, like the paid, like the local ones. And and I specifically remember these fortune tellers that would come on and they'd be like, listen, call now. And for like 20 cents a minute, we will tell you your future. We, We have like some sort of secret knowledge of this like spiritual realm. And if you call for 20 cents a minute, we'll give you instant guidance. And these customers would come on, which is really weird looking people. And they'd all be like, listen, they told me things you could never, no one could ever possibly know about me, and I found my perfect husband because they told me. And another person would say, I couldn't figure out which job to accept, but after talking to these people, they told me what to do, and now I'm living my dream, and they would like throw up fake money. And we were like, this is amazing. This is great. Um, And, but honestly, for some of us, this is exactly why we became Christians. This is exactly what we want from God. This is why we read the Bible. This is why we pray. We want shortcuts to security, to guarantees, to blessings. We, what we want from God is guidance, we, but we don't want the guide. But God doesn't give you the map to your life. He gives you himself. J.I. Packer, a Reformed theologian, puts it this way. He said, imagine you get to a city and you're trying to find this place but you're lost. What do you do? And you can't say Google Maps or MapQuest 
because he wrote this before those things. Uh, so he said, what do you do? He said, you'd have to find somebody from there who knows their way around. And you'd have to go up to them and say, can you tell me how to get to the old sawmill? And that person would look at you and say, yeah, but it's basically impossible for me to tell you. It's too complicated. So here, let me draw you a map. And so after drawing this incredibly confusing map, you both look at each other and you blink a little bit. And he says, you know what? I'm going that way anyways. Let me just get in your car and I'll tell you how to get there. So he gets in, and now instead of getting the map, you're getting the guide. Instead of getting the map, now you're getting the guide, which is way better. Think about it. With the guide, you're still only getting small sections of directions. You know, turn right here. Go straight for a little bit. Take a left on Main. You shouldn't have gone that far. You need to actually flip a U-turn now. You, you know, you don't know where you are, but it's okay because the guide does. And he'll lead you to where you're needing to go. And if you screw up, he'll bring you back on track. But you'll still have to be patient. You'll still have to trust the guide. And in the same way, God does not give us the map for our lives. He doesn't tell you everything that's going to happen. Uh, you don't need the whole map. You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand the whole map if he gave it to you. And you honestly probably wouldn't like it if he saw it. The first thing you'd probably say is, uh, you know, if he gave you that map was, listen, God, I'm going to actually need a lot less, uh, a lot more money from 18 to 24, because I don't know how anybody lives off that. And also from 35 to 44, I'm going to need way less suffering. We would instantly, like, just give me that map, and I'll actually just rewrite it. Uh, you don't know what you're doing. But that's not what God does. God does not give you the map he gives you himself. And guidance is not something you find. Guidance is something that God does. He directs our steps. He makes our path straight. He leads us in the way to everlasting. Guidance is not something that God gives as much as it is something that God does. And so the Bible doesn't really teach you how to find the secret will because it's not secret. It doesn't tell you how to find the secret plan for your life. It's not something that only super spiritual Christians can find if they just pray more. God's will is not hidden. He's not trying to trick us. He gives it to us. And until you get this, you'll be looking for signs and visions and dreams and writings in the clouds, which just honestly don't come. So what is a person then who gets God's guidance? What do they look like? And there are four things from this text that I want to talk about uh, that show us that are true of people whom God guides. The first is this. It comes from verses 4 and 5. It says this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. Now, what this verse is telling us here and what David is almost certainly talking about is, the, is God's Word. It, the person that's going to be guided by God is a person who knows and is saturated in the Scriptures. This will be a person who knows God's commands inside and out, His ways inside and out, His Word inside and out. Why? Because the Bible is God's will. <laughs> you want to know what God wants you to do with your life, it's in the Scriptures. 
It's not hidden. It's not for super Christians. And David says, in order to be guided by God, I first need God to teach me all of his ways which come from the scriptures. In other words, the people who get guided by God are the people who spend so much time in the word of God that they get reshaped by it. Their thinking, their conscience, their, their, even their emotional responses are all reshaped by the scriptures. Or as Hebrews 13 says, they get their hearts rewritten, reshaped, so they make wise decisions and they do God's will, and they walk in His ways just by simply living their lives. Now, I know some of us are thinking that, man, that is not what I want to hear. (laughs) I've tried reading the Bible a few times. I couldn't find God's will for my life there, but I actually need direction and inspiration now. And the thought of spending a lifetime rewriting myself and spending that much time in the Bible seems really, really hard. Um, I remember when I moved to, to China, I had never studied Chinese. I knew two words when I got off the plane, which is a horrible idea. And when I heard it the first day that I was there, uh, I didn't know when a word started or ended. Like when they spoke, it was just like a giant noise. And I was like, I'm sure there's words in there, but I didn't hear any. I couldn't distinguish anything. And what if my plan was, all right, I'm going to learn Chinese. And my plan was this. I'm going to buy a Chinese dictionary. I'm going to open it, you know, in the morning, maybe grab a little cup of coffee, take an Instagram photo, spend five minutes reading over it, pray a little, and then go out, all right, I'm going to go and negotiate a rental contract. Will that work? Absolutely not. But so many people think, if I just read my Bible five minutes a day, but let's be honest, five minutes a week, and pray for a little inspiration, I'll be fine. That's all I'll need. But is that enough? No. You have to be saturated in the Scriptures. You have to retrain your brain and your heart to know what it teaches. And and just like David, to, to, to learn how to think biblically. If you want to be guided by God, the first thing is you have to be saturated in God's words. Teach me, Lord. Show me your path. Guide me into your truth. That's what David asks. But the second thing you'll probably notice in this text is that David is talking a lot about God's guidance, but he's also continually confessing his sin. He's continually confessing his sin on and on throughout this. Why? Because if you look at verse 9, David says, God guides the humble. God guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his ways. And humility here, he's meaning teachable. He's meaning somebody who is teachable, somebody who hears something and actually wants to obey. And what this means is that the people who get God's guidance are not just people who know God's word, but are the people who from the heart actually want to do it. Because they're teachable. They're willing to obey. They understand they're not perfect. Hence why David is continually confessing his sin. But when he sees his mistakes, he is adamant to change and adamant to re-follow God. This this psalm has reminded me a a couple times of the story of Naaman in the Bible. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Naaman. He's a Syrian general. And Naaman ends up coming to Israel because he's treated kindly by an Israelite slave girl. That she's his slave certainly means that he's killed her family and that he's taken her to be his slave. But because she's been humbled, because she's, uh, she's been humbled, she still chooses to follow God's commands even to her worst enemy, even to a person that has, has enslaved her. And because of the kindness that she shows him, Naaman goes to Israel and he is not only healed of his leprosy, but in the end he's even converted to follow God. 
And humility is concerned not only with knowing God's will, but being the type of person who loves to do it. Yet if we are so concerned in our own lives about our decisions and finding God's will, and yet we know we have places in our lives that are always and constantly stuck in sin, right? Maybe you're selfish, just, you know, you just know it. I'm a selfish person. Or you're, you're never generous. You think about being generous, but you never actually are. Or, or you just lie to people a lot. Or, or you're lazy. Or whatever sins that you find yourself constantly stuck in, right? If I'm disobedient with these parts of my life, and yet I'm trying to find God's will for me, you have to repent. You want to know God's will for your life, I can tell you. It's to repent from the things you already know, from the sins you're already committing. Why? Because he leads the humble. He doesn't just want you to know the word. He wants you to be the type of person that is teachable and humble so that you'll actually do it. We all want to know God's works and his plan for our lives, but the way we'll know and actually benefit from his guidance is if we're actually the type of people who are willing to confess, be humble, be taught, and do what God says. The third thing that is true of the people of God who get God's guidance, it comes from verse 10. In this verse, uh, it says, all the ways of the Lord, and just hear that, all. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who are of his covenant people. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to, the war, to those who keep his covenant. What God is essentially saying here is the same thing that he is saying in Romans 8.28. In Romans 8.28, he says, We know that for those who love God, that all things are working together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know what he's saying there? That everything in this universe that God is, that God is sovereign over and is working is ultimately going to end in our great good. And what this means is that we should not have such a small and narrow view of God that we think that somehow God's plan for us is that he's got like five or six really big things that we need to do in life. And if we don't do one of them perfectly, our entire life is ruined. Like, if I, I got to marry the right person, there's the one out there, which, by the way, the one is Jesus. <laughs> but, like, there's one person out there, and I got to find that person, even if they live in India. Who knows where they are? I got to find the one. I got to go to the right school. There's a lot of great ones, but there's only one right one. I got to pick the right career. I got to move to the perfect city, and not just the perfect city, the perfect house in the city. And if I don't, life is over. A lot of people feel like God's plan for their lives is like a flight that has six stops along the way, and if you miss one connection, you'll never get to the dream vacation that He has planned for you. Right now, I'm on God's plan B. But the Bible teaches us that everything we do, even our mistakes, even our failures, are very much a part of God accomplishing His will and His purpose in all of our lives, which means it's going to be okay which means we can rest from the paralyzing anxiety about crushing our futures, which is why we're asking the question in the first place. If you remember the story of Jacob in the Bible, God says before he's even born that the older will serve the younger. So when Jacob comes out, we're like, he's probably going to be a great guy. But it turns out he lies his entire life. He cheats all the time. He does all these terrible things. And for the most part, he has a really, really hard life. And yet in the midst of that, he meets his wife. And from his wife comes the offspring, which is the Messiah, Jesus. Was that God's plan B? Does that make his sin okay? Of course not. 
But God was still at work in his life amidst his sin and his failures, accomplishing his plan, and it unfolded exactly as he meant it to. Now, I want you to think through this for me for a second. Take your anxieties, right? Think through this. What if you married the wrong person? Then you are all having the wrong children, and all of their children will be the wrong children, and all of their jobs will be the wrong jobs, and all their contributions and good to the world will be the wrong contributions and the wrong good. Their lives are screwed up forever. They shouldn't be here. Now, let me ask you, is God scratching his head and saying, who are those people and how did they get here? You know, is he wondering, what am I going to do with these people now? The answer is no. He is the author of the story of the universe. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to His covenant people, meaning if you're in Christ, you cannot screw up your life. It's impossible. He's too great for that. He loves you too much for that. He's too powerful for that, which means that third, we need to relax. We need to relax and trust God as life unfolds. We rest in His power. But lastly, look with me at verse 14. It says this, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Or your ESV footnote probably says, or the secret counsel. The secret counsel, the friendship, the close intimacy of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. And what this verse is trying to point out and what it means is that those who fear the Lord, who depend upon God, who know His Word, who, 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 you know, strive after Him, who pursues His glory, that if you have this, if this is what's going on in your heart, you can actually trust it. You can simply trust your heart. Because with renewed hearts, we can simply in life make decisions and choose the things we want to do. Meaning that when I know God's Word and I'm abiding in Him and I'm filled with His Spirit and I'm repenting of sin and I'm walking with Him, I can just simply ask, what do I want to do? Trusting that God has shaped you and is shaping even your desires so much so that you love what God loves and hate what God hates, and you just simply live your life. You see, when I first became a Christian, everyone told me when I was trying to figure out what to do, they're like, you just need to pray. Basically, you just need to become a spiritual enough person so that God will give you and tell you exactly what you want to do. And what I did all the time is I would say, okay, I'm going to go pray. And then I would say, this is what God had said. And then three days later, I would come back and say, just kidding. No, this is what God had said. And then I come back three days later and be like, well, it all failed. So actually, this is what God had said, but we have to be very, very careful in doing that lest we divine things that God has not divined. He does not ask us to do that. But what is taught in the Scriptures is that God does lead and shape His people so that they walk in His ways, so that we can simply just do what we think is best in life. When we think about decision-making, then we should ask always, what, is the, what does Scripture say about this? If it says, don't do it, I'll tell you, that's God's will, don't do it. If it says, do it, I'll tell you, it's do that thing. But then we have to ask, am I actually willing to obey this? Am I the person that's actually willing to do this? And after that, we ask, will this bring God glory? And after you've asked those questions, you can simply do what you think is best and then faithfully do what you decided, knowing that even if it's a horrible idea, God is going to be with you even in your screw-ups. In fact, screw-ups often are the things that shape us the most in life. Pastor Kevin DeYoung he wrote a book about this very idea, and it's called Just Do Something. <laughs> and then it has a subtitle, How to Make Decisions as a Christian Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, 
open doors, random Bible verses where that's like, you're like, all right, God, what should I do? And you like open your Bible to a random page and put your finger down. And then it's like, you know, slay the Amalekites. And you're like, all right, I'll pick a different one. That was wrong. You know, and then it's like, and he stoned him. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Um, so that's what, you know, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, Jesus's face on toast. We don't need those things. God's friendship, God's secret counsel is given to his covenant people. It's not hidden. As I study this psalm, I remember reading a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He said, if you look at verse 12, David asked the question, who is the one who fears the Lord? And Spurgeon said, most people read this psalm and they don't actually ask the question, right? We read it, but we don't ask the question. And because of this, we implicitly think this psalm is about me. It's about me. We think I'm the one who fears the Lord, but we're not. Charles Spurgeon said, there are times every single day when we fear everything and anything but the Lord. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one whom we know who perfectly fears the Lord. And this psalm is shaping us and moving us to trust in Him. Because Jesus is the one, right? He's the one who arrived on earth and made the invisible God visible. He showed us perfectly what it's like to be guided by God. He shows us what it's like to be guided by God in everything. He is God's word made flesh. He is the author. He's the one who is perfectly guided by God so that every word from his mouth, he said, came from the Father. Everything he did from in his life was from the Father. But Jesus was guided by the Lord to his death so that we could be guided by the Father to life. He was the one who feared the Lord perfectly, and yet he was struck down in our place. And now we know that we who in Christ fear the Lord are not afraid of, of, of being struck down, but we know our sins are forgiven. We are the sinners of the psalm who are now in Christ being guided in the way because of what Jesus has done. We are the covenant breakers who have been shown infinite covenant faithfulness because God has rescued us by laying the covenant curses upon his one and only son so that we could receive all of the blessings. Because of Jesus, we are no no longer rebels, but the ones guided because of what he has come. Because of Jesus, we can say we are God's friend. We know his secret counsel. He has given us his spirit. Because of him, we've been transformed and we are daily being rewired by the word of God, which is his own son. We are the ones who obey because we've been humbled by the grace and love of Jesus. We're the ones who rest and are not crushed by anxiety because we know all the ways of God are loving and faithful to those who obey him. How do we know? We look to the cross. It is because of Jesus, because of his covenant power, because of what he has done for us. We can trust him in everything. Because of Jesus, we're the people who don't just know about God, but we know him. We haven't just read about him, but we trust him and we love him because he is the God of our salvation. Because of Jesus, God is our guide. He is our friend. And we know that he will lead us into life everlasting because he has already given it to us. To know Jesus, Jesus says, is to know the Father. Walk with Him, trust Him, rest in His guidance. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, Your Word. We thank You that it is powerful. We thank You that You guide us to Yourself. We thank you that you love us. And Lord, we ask for everyone who is afraid, who is anxious, who is tired, who is lonely, who is not knowing like Abraham whither where he went. Lord, that you would meet us and wrap your arms around us. Help us, Lord, to rest and to know 
that you've given us freedom, that you've led us into life everlasting, and that you will walk with us until the end because you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.